Please open your Bibles to John chapter 16. I would like for us to stand again and sing no other name but the name of Jesus. I remind you that Wednesday night we continue our prophecy sermons. This week the topic is the Battle of Armageddon. Young couples are invited to enroll in a special seminar that is outlined in the Sunday bulletin for you, the information there, been held at Mandarin Christian Church. And uh, you can see John Bailey for information about that. Last night I was called late in the night to pray for a person that really, Satan just jumped on this person in a weakened condition and manifestations were occurring that were not common, were not normal, and uh, hard to explain how this could happen with the exception of knowing that Satan takes advantage of weakness. But we called on the name of Jesus, pleaded the blood of Jesus, spoke the name of Jesus over and over and over again until eventually and finally that individual peace came and uh, went off to sleep. I believe in the power of the name of Jesus. And there is no other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord. No other name but the name of Jesus is worthy of glory and worthy. chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning to read with verse 4, reading down through verse 7. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things, sorrow hath filled your heart. Because I said these things, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You may be seated. The title of my message is, when good news seems bad. We've all been confronted with uh, someone saying, I have good news and I have bad news. Which do you want first? <laughs> it's like they want to let you down easy or cushion your disappointment of tragic circumstances 
with an encouragement to look for the silver lining. Sometimes it involves pain in our life, the bad news. Losing something very precious. It's like someone saying, the bad news is your wife just wrecked your new sports automobile. But the good news is I have a bicycle that I will loan you while the collision repair shop will take care of it. <laughs> Sometimes the truth is turned into triumph, though. Gary was uh, invited to attend a dove shoot. And he was out in the field. He had fired his gun twice, 12-gauge shotgun twice when his trusty cell phone rang. He's never without that cell phone. <laughs> and so he answered to find out that something had happened at home that necessitated him leaving the dove chute. One vehicle had backed into another. Don't ask who was driving. That's not important. Two vehicles are damaged, and Gary takes his gun, gets in his vehicle. I'm not sure if he ever hit anything when he was out there anyway, fired twice, but he went home. Later that day, he shared with his wife that he had been having vision problems all week. She called the doctor. He immediately ordered him to see a specialist and come to find out that he was having a detachment of the retina of his eye. Had he stayed at that dove shoot and fired that gun, the jolt and the recall could have caused serious, more serious damage to the eye. And so the bad news turned out to be good news for instead of staying out there for hours, as people do on the dove shoot, you know, there's a lot of shooting, very little hitting going on at dove shoots. Instead of staying out there, he went home after having only fired his gun two times. So God saw to it that he was protected, that his eye was spared more serious injury by him leaving that event. Sometimes we look at bad things that happen that we see them as bad, and we can't see the whole picture. We can't see the larger picture. It seemed like a very bad day to the disciples. In John chapter 16, I did not read verses 1 through 3. I started with verse 4. But in those verses, Jesus told them they were going to be persecuted. And he said, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. And he said, you're going to be hated by these people. Furthermore, he told them, some of you will be killed by people who think they're doing God a favor. The first three verses... He gave them what they thought was bad news. The worst was coming. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. You're going to be hated. People are going to kill you and claim that they're doing God a favor by doing that. Verse 3. They do these things because they have not known the Father. They have not known the Father. So they heard the bad news. 
we do not always know how to interpret what we consider bad news, which may be divine providence. Job could not understand what was taking place in his life. God had even said to the devil, Consider my servant Job that eschews evil. This man is righteous. This is a good man. And the devil says, Just let me have at him. And you know the story how that his oxen and his asses were stolen, how that 3,000 camels, along with the servants watching over them, were stolen. His sons and daughters were slain or killed in the collapse of a house in a violent windstorm. He simply fell down and he prayed. And in Job chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's classic. That is powerful. Then it got worse. His body was smitten with sore boils from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. He sat in sackcloth and ashes and scraped his boils and uh, was embarrassed and intimidated by the people who walked by. His wife looked at him and said, This is pitiful. Job, just curse God and die. His response was, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. And in all of this, he did not sin with his lips. Now, Job was faithful and true to God when his friends came and they cast aspersions and all kind of accusations against this man. Finally, God intervened and said, Stop it, stop it. And he reprimanded all of them, and then he spoke to Job. And Job forgave his friends and prayed for his friends. And when he prayed for his friends, God blessed him and restored him and gave him more than he had had at the beginning. He lived 140 more years. 140 more years under the favor of God. He had seven sons and three daughters, 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses, and all of this Job was being blessed as God showed him his favor. But the most important blessing that Job received, he never saw it in his lifetime. It came after his death. Millions of people read the book of Job and are encouraged to have patience and to have faith in adversity and to trust God no matter what the circumstances are. And when hard times come and bad days come, we keep our faith steadfast in Almighty God. So Job's greatest blessings are seated in this sanctuary today as people have learned that God is faithful, even though the temporary circumstances may look very awkward and difficult to handle and accept, we know that God is going to bring us through. We have learned to have faith and we have learned to have patience. Joseph had a bad day 
after he related his dream to his brothers and to his parents, his brothers out in the field staged his death and slaughtered by a wild animal and took his coat of many colors and showed it to his father. And then they sold Joseph after taking him up out of a pit to the Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt where he was put on the slave block and sold and auctioned off in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. He was put in prison. He had a lot of bad days. What he would consider, what happened to my dream? In all this time when things were going backwards and bad days were coming, there was one thing that kept Joseph on an even equilibrium, with an even equilibrium, and that was the dream that God had given to him and his faith in God. When Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, he fled, wound up in prison. In prison, he gained favor with the jailkeeper. He gained favor with the butler and the baker. And when the butler forgot him, even after he was released, according to the interpretation of Joseph's dream, he's still having his bad days. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go out and eat worms. No, Joseph maintained his steadfast faith in God. Finally, he was called before Pharaoh to interpret his dream. And he is promoted to be second only unto Pharaoh and to gather the plenty of seven years of prosperity and store up grain for seven years of famine and finally to see the fulfillment of his dream when his father and his brothers make the journey and come down to Egypt where they are sustained through the, that deadly famine. And what had been a bad day turned out to be a great blessing as he saw his family's salvation by his steadfast faith in God. If you will be faithful, if you will learn to trust God, no matter what circumstances dictate and say to you, you'll learn that God certainly is going to be faithful on his part. Saul of Tarsus had a bad day. This proud Pharisee was riding along or walking along. We don't know if he was riding in a chariot, riding on a horse, or walking. The Bible just simply says he fell to the ground. I've heard people wax eloquent about him, the horse bucking and un he's unhorsed. Doesn't say a thing about a horse. Doesn't say a thing about a chariot. He just fell to the ground is all we know. But not a very dignified posture for a proud Pharisee to be wallowing on the ground helpless under the circumstances, blinded by a bright light, scared within an inch of his life as a great voice speaks his name and says, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And the proud Pharisee is trembling in his boots and he says, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Is it not hard for thee to kick against the pricks? The indicted man suddenly quivering and shaking turns his life over to God, but he's blinded for three days and has to walk in darkness, be led about into Damascus where God is teaching him how to trust in God. He met Jesus on a bad day. Sometimes we're pursuing a path that would be disastrous if we were allowed to continue on. It would only lead to the destruction of other people and ourselves. If God had not stopped Saul, innocent Christians would have died or been in prison. Saul would have continued in his murderous, treacherous path, but God stopped him. 
It may be that God has drawn a line and stopped you today and you're seated in this sanctuary and you're not going anywhere. I'm going to tell you, you're not going anywhere until God releases you, until you get it through your head that you need to give your life over to God. It is no accident that you sit in this sanctuary today and you're hearing a message telling you that good days follow bad days. And the bad day that has happened to you has simply gotten your attention. You made your way into a house of God seeking the mercy and the favor of God and the prayers of God's people. And now God wants you to leave out of here with faith. Leave out of here with a changed life. Saul of Tarsus was turned into Paul the apostle. And he could speak to the Philippians. And he could say to them, but I would have you to understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The apostle Peter had the same revelation in chapter 4 of 1 Peter in verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. You've been going through some difficulties, fiery trials. Recently I was going to preach a sermon about that and the Lord didn't let me. I don't know if I'll ever preach that sermon. I still have the notes handwritten out and uh, it, it's there at my desk. And I don't know, I certainly will not attempt to preach it unless the Lord speaks to me because that service was turned into one glorious event we will never forget. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, now then even as a Christian, finds that everything doesn't work out the way you think it should. They're hard days, they're bad days. It was not a good day. It was a bad day when Paul said, in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils by mine own countrymen, Perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. In weariness, painfulness, watchings, hunger, and thirst, in fastings, in cold, and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. I will look on those things that appeared to be bad days and understand that there are those who are comforted with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted by the Lord in our hour of trial and difficulty. You may be, have a, you may, be going through a valley and God may have allowed you to encounter some very disappointing circumstances so that you would be in position to say to the person down the road when they're going through that same thing God will bring you God will bring you through I've been there I've done that I have the t-shirt I know that God is faithful what seems like a bad day may turn out to be a good opportunity 
to inspire faith in God. But is there any good news? What is the good news? Well, Jesus hit them with more bad news, they thought. Jesus said, I'm going to leave you. I'm sure that Peter said, don't say that. You promised you would never leave us alone nor forsake us. I'm going to leave you. Jesus said, I must leave you. It's expedient that I leave you. If I don't leave you, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him unto you. The bad news to these disciples who had been with Jesus for three years, they never had to make the decisions. He made the decisions. He provided the fish and the coals on the fire. He was the one that stilled the storm. He was the one that gave them power to cast out devils and to preach the gospel. He was the one that fed the multitude. They were just his servants. They accompanied him on his great task, but now he says he's going away. He's going to leave us. But Jesus said that what you interpret as bad news is not bad news. For I am going to give you another comforter, and he will abide with you forever. He will never leave you. While I am on earth, I am in one place. When I am in Jerusalem, I am not in Galilee. When I am in Nazareth, I am not at Bethany. But when the Holy Ghost comes, He will be in you. And everywhere you go, He'll be there. You will never be alone. He is another comforter, just as divine as I am, just as much God as I am, just as much powerful as I am, I will not leave you comfortless. What had seemed to be a bad day and a bad announcement now then is making sense. And they begin to understand the good news. The good news means change. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost comes, he will change things. He will reprove the world of sin. While Jesus was with his disciples, he tolerated Judas, who was dipping his hand in the bag and taking something out of the till <laughs> all alone. Jesus knew it. There's no indication he ever confronted him. He knew when he went and talked to the Pharisees and the scribes about betraying him for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus followed him, as it were, and he knew exactly what took place. When he sat at the table with the 12 at the Lord's Supper, Jesus offered him the bread and the fruit of the vine. And he simply said, one of you will betray me. He never fingered Judas. He even washed his feet. He even washed his feet. But he said, one of you will betray me. Even when he came to the Garden of Gethsemane to betray Jesus with a kiss, and he embraced Jesus, he said, friend, friend, wherefore art thou come? Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? All along, Jesus could have exposed him. He could have said, you're a traitor. You're not faithful. You're going to be the betrayer, but he did not do that. But now then, Jesus says, things are going to be different, boys. When the Holy Ghost comes, he will reprove the world of sin. I want to tell you, you're not going to get by with a thing. 
You're not getting by with anything. Those secret sins could be like they're painted in boxcar letters. They're going to be like they're glaring at you under a microscope. God's going to say, you've got to clean this up. The Holy Ghost is pointing out in your life, he will reprove the world of sin. Change now. The bad news, I'm going away. The good news, the Holy Ghost is coming, but he's going to deal with sin. There's going to be change. The Holy Ghost has never changed one iota. He is in the world to change us. And I believe that certainly we who claim to have a little edge, although we, we say that with pride, we shouldn't do it. But we think that we've got a little edge on the work of the Holy Ghost. But he's just as powerful elsewhere. But we ought to be walking straight. We ought to be living clean, living pure. How can we talk in tongues and tell lies? How can we talk in tongues and use curse words? How can we talk in tongues and read pornography? How can we talk in tongues and get mad and angry and give people a piece of our mind? Jesus said when the Holy Ghost comes, he will reprove the world of sin. So get ready. Just pull your feet in. That's what he's doing right now. You stop that lying. You quit smoking them cigarettes. You quit dipping that snuff. You quit drinking that beer and sipping cocktails. You quit going to the theater, going to the dance hall. You start shaping up and living like a Christian ought to live who's filled with the Holy Spirit. He reproves the world. You're not going to hear it from this pulpit that everything is okay. When the Holy Ghost comes, he will reprove the world of sin. He will reprove the world of righteousness and of judgment. Self-righteousness, man-made righteousness. What is acceptable in the eyes of man? For the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus will be given, and it will be pure. The good news is the Holy Ghost has come. He is here. Right now, in this room, he's here. Pentecost came 10 days following the ascension of Jesus from the Mount of Olives. Peter stood up and preached, and he said, this is that that Joel prophesied about, that in the last days God said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And then he said in verse 38, the promise is unto you and unto your children, to them that are far off, and even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. Now then prophecy was being fulfilled. The promise that Jesus had said, I will send the promise of the Father upon you, has been fulfilled. The power was now then infused in the life of these believers, the 120 in the upper room. For Jesus had said in verse 8 of chapter 1, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. All of these things. What had appeared to be bad news that Jesus was going away was turning out to be indeed good news. Prophecy was fulfilled. The promise was fulfilled. The power was now infused into the life of the believers. Peter, who had been wishy-washy, Peter, who had lied and cursed and denied that he knew Jesus, stood up and preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And now then he tells people the promises to you, to your children, to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now then, Pentecost means to these people, it's not bad. It's not bad that Jesus went away because the Holy Ghost has come. 
First of all, we know Jesus is not lost. Outer space did not engulf him. He's not orbiting around the sun. He made it all the way to the throne room of heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. For he said, when I get back there, I will send him. Now, beloved, think about that. The good news is Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. In our Sunday school lesson, we saw him standing to witness the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But his proper posture and position is seated at the right hand of the Father, seating, seated there in a posture of completed and fulfilled ministry. At the cross, he said, it's finished. And he finished the work of atonement. And now then, he's seated there as our advocate. He makes intercession according to the will of God in our behalf. So it's good news. It would have been bad if he stayed here. Our salvation would not have been complete. But now it's finished. He sprinkled his blood above the mercy seat. Now then, he sits there as our advocate. And he looks down and he knows our weak moments and he intercedes in our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Furthermore, the good news was that the resurrection was not staged. It was not a drama. It was not a play. It was real. The tomb was really empty. He had left those grave clothes there. He had come out of that tomb. The tomb was only open for them to see in, not to let him out. And he ascended back and is now seated at the right hand of God. And the good news is Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. And the good news is the same Holy Ghost is available to us today. The promises to you, to your children, to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The three facts that I want to bring to your attention in closing. Number one, the promises to everyone. No one's excluded. It's not denominational. It has nothing to do with what church you belong to or are a member of. It has nothing to do with water baptism, although water baptism is an act of obedience, and there's a lot of things that have to do with obedience. But uh, the promises to you. You can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can have a personal Pentecost. The Holy Ghost will indwell you. He will empower you. He will infuse you. He will endow you with gifts and abilities far beyond that of your own natural self. Second thing is, you must ask. It is not against your will. It is not in spite of your wishes, but because you ask. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If ye be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Spirit to them that ask him? No wonder some people have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They fought against it. They said it's not real. It's not for us today. And so they, they don't believe in it. But these signs follow them that believe. And if you don't believe in it, obviously you're not going to speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not the objective. It's one of the physical evidences that we have been baptized with the Holy Ghost. It's certainly not the only one. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit the empowerment, a life filled with power to witness. I mean, some people stop short. When they get a few, tongue word, few words and tongues, they stop. They don't look for the power. They don't look for the gifts. They don't look for the fruit. 
I mean, they've got their status symbol. All they want is tongues. You're living beneath your privilege. You're living beneath your privilege. And the promise of the Spirit-filled and Spirit-led life is exciting. To think about you being able to do things you've never ventured to do before. You've never been competent. You've never been gifted. You've never been empowered. But God now has infused you with a third person of the triune Godhead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What about the tongues? The Spirit gives the utterance, but He doesn't do the speaking. If you give the utterance, you simply tell a person what to say. Now, we don't teach people to speak in tongues in this church. See anybody doing it, stop them. We do not teach people to speak in tongues but the Holy Ghost does. He gives people the utterance. They all spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. How did he do that? The same way you teach your child how to say English words. Thank you. Thank you. One of the most important words you can teach them. Instead of gimme, gimme, gimme. The Holy Spirit teaches us and puts in our mind and in our spirit words that we've never learned. They're in our thought life. They're in our mind. And we have to give the verbal expression of those words. It's the first step. It's not the final step. Final step is power and witnessing, miracles, gifts, fruit, walking, living in the Spirit. But the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues is a sign that at last you finally surrendered the hardest member of your body to tame. Yesterday you was using your tongue for purposes that were not glorifying to God. Now you've decided to renounce that and yield that tongue to praise God. Instead of telling somebody off, you're telling God how wonderful he is. Instead of speaking out venom and poison, you're now giving praise and worship to God. They heard them speak with other tongues, and they were blessing God and praising God. It's a means of prayer. It's a means of worship and praise. And as it's, the words are framed in your mind, you've got to say them. The Holy Ghost is not going to talk through you. You will do the talking, but he will give you what to say. It will be framed in your mind. If I ask you to tell your age today, stand up and tell your age and your birthday and what county you were born in and... Uh, you know, I just give you a whole list of things. You just have to stop and think of them for a split second. And your mind's going to tell you what to say. Listen to the Holy Ghost. He'll tell you what to say in other words, in other languages. It may be one or two words. It might be a sentence. It may just be a beginning of something that will gush forth that you won't stop for two hours. It may be something that will be like a paragraph, or it could be a song. Whatever, the strange syllables and words were not framed by the carnal, fleshly person, but by the thought life controlled by the Holy Spirit. Don't try to repeat what other people are saying. Don't try to mimic them. Listen to within yourself, and listen to what the Holy Ghost is teaching you. Now, the good news is, whosoever will can come to the Lord and be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was all right there in that sermon Peter preached. In this room, 
They're people that God wants to realign your life, change your life, make you a new person in Christ Jesus. You will never be the same. You will never, never be the same. You need to get right with God. I want everyone to stand. Please, no one leave right now. Be patient. If you're without Christ in your life, if you fail God, if you've backslidden, if you're not ready to meet God, will you indicate that by raising your hand and say, Pastor, I need prayer that my life will get right with God. I want Jesus to help me. I need a miracle. Raise your hand wherever you are. Just slip it up and down. In a much smaller crowd this morning, we had a wonderful person give her heart and life to the Lord, changed her life. It can happen to you right now. Whosoever will can come. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Slip your hand up. I'm waiting just another second or two. I want everyone in this room. Yes, thank you very much. Would you be so kind just to step out and come down here? I want to shake hands with you and pray with you. Come on down. Come on down. Someone will come with you. They'll walk with you. Praise God. Praise God. Someone else. Just come right now. Come right now. God is calling you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Stretch your hands out and pray for this brother. Pray for him. Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Come on, give me that. In the name of Jesus. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now I want everyone in this room to slip those hands up and start praising God. And if the Lord gives you words you've never spoken, speak those words. Ask for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Ask him to give you that wonderful gift, that endowment of power. And when the words are framed in your mind, speak them out. Just everybody raising your hands to worship God. Everybody praising God, giving the Lord glory and honor that is due him. He's worthy. He is 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 worthy. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, His grace is sufficient for me, and His love is abundant and free. Oh, what joy fills my soul just to have need for special prayer for anything you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost you want to get saved you want to be healed if you'll come down to the front we have brethren that will meet you here and pray with you so please come while we're waiting just a second before I dismiss the congregation we'll sing that again and it'll be our dismissal but if you need special prayer please come right now oh his grace is for me Oh, what joy fills my soul just to 
Oh, sing it again, please.